This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So anyway, so so they asked him, how how could you create such a sculpture of an elephant that people really think it's an elephant? So he said, hello, yeah, goodbye. So he said, he said, um, I took this, this, this chunk of marble and I chipped away everything that wasn't elephant. And that's how he got that perfect elephant. So many people ask me, like, how do you become a good Jew? I say, you just chip away the, at everything that isn't Jewish. In the end, you'll end up with a Jew. So that's what he said. So there's a, there's a, there's a, if you get rid of everything that's not you, then it becomes something that is you. And that's, I talk to kids a lot about duplication where, you know, I want to be like her, I want to be like him, I want to be like Mike, I want to be like this one, I want to be like that one. That's not you. That's, that's, that's trying to be like someone else. Hashem doesn't make duplicates. How do you know Hashem doesn't make duplicates? You think there's a duplicate of you? What? Even though they say on the other side of the world in China there's someone that looks like you? I don't think there's someone in China that looks like you. Right? So, so why does that, how do you know Hashem doesn't make duplicates? Because every single person has different fingerprints. Even twins. So if you have different fingerprints, you're not the same as the other person. So just like you have different fingerprints physically, you have different fingerprints emotionally, and you have different fingerprints spiritually. So we're all very different. Now, what's the... So if you're jealous, you're not, you can't be happy. You can't be happy. Everything, all, all they want, all you want to be. You want to make money because you want to be like this, and you want to be like her, and you want to be like them. You can't, you, there's, no, there's no happiness in that road. So mechbosalko means I'm happy with who I am. I'm happy with where I'm going. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I want to do better. I want to grow. But I'm, I'm happy with what I have. So this month, this month, the nace, the miracle that happened in this month is called Nister. There's a nace nigma, a nace that everyone sees, right? A big miracle. And then there are miracles that nobody sees. That you're breathing, that you can go to the bathroom, that you could see, that you could hear. You know, the, 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 the birth of a child, there's, there's the budding of a tree, there's a million different things in your body that your heart is working, that your body's 98.6, but you don't have any, any coal or oil or electricity in your body, and you're still 98.6 for 90 years. So, Purim was a miracle in Adar that was totally hidden. It doesn't look like a miracle at all. You have this king. He's got this wife. He tells her to come dance on a table. She says, no, women's rights. He hangs her. He hangs her. Meanwhile, his second in command, Haman, really wants the kingdom because... I'm not going to go through the whole Megillus, not for this week's year, but, but uh, what, what they had in those days is that the king was called Blue Blood, right? So... The king had a child, and that was the next king, the next king, the next king. Vashti came from royalty. Achishverosh came from the street, from nothing. So when he got angry at Vashti, Haman said, right away, kill your wife. She stood up to you. In Persia, you know, Persian women can't stand up to their men in those days. Anyway, so, so he said straight up, kill her. He hung her right away. He was drunk. Why did he want to kill her? Because Haman wanted to be king. 
but he could never be king because she was royalty and Haman wasn't. But once she was killed, Achashverosh wasn't royalty. So Haman was equal to him. So if he could, if he could kill Achashverosh, he'll become the king. There's no more, they didn't have children. So there, there's no more, it's over. There's no more royalty. So Haman could take over. In fact, what happens right after he kills her? Bixen and Seresh are talking about poisoning the king. Where'd that come from? Why would Bixen and Seresh want to poison the king? What did he do wrong? The answer is, they worked for Haman. And they tried to poison the king. And Mordechai saved them. So, regular Persian politics in the castle. Right? It happened every day that they, that they killed the king and they poisoned the king. And Haman's looking for, you know, he's like, okay, so what happens? The king marries Esther, right? Some say she was gorgeous, okay? So he fell in love with a Jewish girl. Or she had chain, which is very, very big, right? So he marries this Jewish girl, and the Jews are in trouble, which we always are. And, right, she tells her husband, the last second, that this guy wants to kill me. Achishverosh is already jealous, because he thinks he knows that Haman tried to kill him before. So he's got to get rid of Haman, but he can't get rid of Haman. On what basis? Oh, now he has an excuse to get rid of Haman. He gets rid of Haman. Chad Gadja, beautiful. Mazel tov. Have a good day. We were saved. Regular person story. No miracles. No splitting of the yam. No frogs. No lice. No the walls of Yericho caving in. No miracle. This story could happen. No miracle. But we know that behind the whole thing was God. So the whole Adar, which celebrates Purim, is celebrating a nes nister, celebrating a hidden miracle. Mishinichnas Adar. When you come into Adar and you realize that everything that happens to a person, God's hand is, is behind it, automatically your life will become more happy. Because even the bad stuff in your life, right? What do we say? Gamzulatayva. What does Gamzulatayva mean? I know, even though it's bad and it hurts, it must be for the good. It's making me who I am. It's the 70% of failure that's going to bring me to success. So you know what? I can deal with it. I can, I can deal with it. Understanding that everything is hidden and everything is God's hand changes my whole life. Right? I'm going out. I'm not married yet. So you can get crazy depressed. What's wrong with me? My friend got married two years ago. She already has a kid. I don't have any kids, right? So if you live in a life of atheism, man, I'm just not lucky. I'm even prettier than her. And she's married and I'm not. I mean, I'm just not, not me personally. I'm just not, I'm not lucky. She got lucky. I'm not lucky, right? You're miserable. You're walking around. I'm not a lucky person. Look at me. She got married. I'm not married. What a girl who knows that everything is from God is saying, he's not ready yet. He's still in yeshiva. He's about tshuva. He's working on himself. He's not here yet. What do I care that she got married? That's, that's her life. But it must be that God has a plan. I hear it all the time. God has a plan. That automatically makes you a happier person. What's going to make you happy? Not drinking, not smoking, not going to a party and dancing. That's not real happiness. That's a momentary, whatever you want to call it. But it's the same thing with drugs. So, when I deal with kids that are drugging, right, they don't call it drugging, they call it tripping. You're Robert Wallstein, 
man, was I tripping last night, right? I'm like, you tripping? He goes, yeah. I was like, okay, why do you trip? And they're like, because sometimes, Rabbi, you need to escape. So I smoked up. I shot up. Whatever, whatever. I drank up. Whatever it is. I'm like, you know that you didn't go on a trip last night. I was like, no, it was my best stuff. I'm like, no, you didn't go on a trip last night. And you don't want to know something else? You didn't escape. I know you didn't escape. He's like, what are you talking about, Rabbi? I'm telling you. It was good stuff. I'm like, I'll prove it to you. When you go on a trip, right, you leave the place that you're at. When you escape, you leave the place that you're at. When you came down, the drug wore off, the drink ran, wore off, whatever it was that you took the trip on, you escaped on, you're still in the same place you were before. So you didn't escape. If you escaped, you wouldn't be in the same place you were before. So the drugs and all this momentary happiness that a person looks for, if you want to know if it's true happiness, if, when it we're, it, if the thing that you use to make yourself happy, when it wears off, you're back to the person you were before, it's not happiness. When a person finds something that makes them truly happy, then they're in a different place. Even if it's a little bit more happy, even if it's an understanding that everything Hashem is watching and He cares about you and everything is being done for a reason, you're in a different place than you were before. Because before, you thought it was just you're unlucky or whatever it is in your life. Now you realize, I'm not just unlucky, there's a reason for this. And I, I said the story about my, I have a brother. The best guy in Mary Shiva. He was the best guy in Mary Shiva. He was 21, he started dating. And every girl that he liked, didn't like him. And every girl that, he, that liked him, he didn't like. And 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. I married already at 19. I didn't even wait for him. Right? At 20, just, I turned, just turned 20. And, my, and I wasn't the best guy in Mary Shiva by a long shot. Right? And my brother, who's the master, who the rich Shiva's like, uh, everybody's like, Elias Wallace, ah, 27, 28, 29. My parents are freaking out. We're all like, what's going on? He's sitting and learning. And he goes, and he, he, he must have gone out with hundreds of girls. And my brother said, it's not the time. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. It's not happening. Hashem has a reason. Imagine, he's 29, 30 years old, beating himself up. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, how come no one likes me? And how come whoever I like doesn't like me? And how come if they like, maybe, maybe, and you start to make yourself crazy. Maybe I got commitment issues. Maybe I got commitment issues. Maybe I'm not dressing nice enough. Maybe I don't know how to date. I got to go to a dating coach. I got to learn what to say and how to think and what to do. And he's 29 or 30, maybe 31. And my mother goes to this on Sundays, we had this, we used to sell Israeli products. So they had these shows in the shuls to try to promote, to buy from Israel. So we had Dead Sea bath salts, we had candles, whatever. And my mother sees a woman across the, across the way, also selling things, and there's a young girl there. So she sees how this girl is helping her mother. Mama's unbelievable, kibbutz of aim, it's amazing. And they start talking, whatever it is. And my mother says, I have a son. And the lady says, I have a daughter. And 
My mother says, how old is your daughter? So my daughter's 18. She didn't start dating yet. My mother's, well, my mother's like, well, I don't know if that's really going to work. You know, I, she's 18 and he's 30. She's 12 years older. And mother says, well, we'll look into your son anyway. And they find out he's like the Masmid of Mir Yeshiva. And they go out, Malki Wallerstein, Malki Wallerstein, she married him. So when he started going out, the difference in age is 12 years. When he started going out at 21, she was nine. She was nine. He can't marry her at nine, right? He can't marry her at 10. He can't. So, so everyone, my parents are going crazy. What's wrong with him? Everyone's going crazy. What's wrong with him? And Hashem's saying, hello, she's nine. What do you want me to do? So he did not become depressed, my brother. He's a tzaddik because he is very close to Hashem. And if I'm 30, I'm 30. There's a reason. You don't always get to see the reason, but here we saw the reason. For Hashem, they're married. A lot of kids, Kanayahara, grandchildren. And he's 12 years older than her. That's, that was meant to be. So your whole life, when you know Adar, when you kn- know that everything is hidden, and that what looks like regular life is not regular life, but it's actually miracles, that in itself, you're not married, you're single, you're, you, 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 your job is not what you, whatever, whatever you're going through, right? Is it your parents, is what happens, you know, a divorced parents, and, and whatever, all this stuff that happens, because Baruch put me here for a reason. Maybe that I should understand what it feels like, I'll be a teacher one day, I'll have girls in my class that are like that, and I can help them. Everything if everything in your life you know has a reason, when you understand Adar, that everything has a reason, automatically it'll, it'll make you happy. Because we lost the base of the two base of Mikdash. So you can't be as happy. You realize that right now we don't have what we used to have. We don't have that relationship with Hashem where you could really see Him, where you could really you know, be close to him, but we're going to see in this week's parsha that the relationship today is closer. People think that the relationship, when there was a base Hamigdash, wow, you went, you saw Kabanos, you saw the Arnak Kodesh, the Lost Ark, you know, I've seen that movie, the Lost Ark, the Lost Ark with the Kruvim, wow, it was amazing. Today, what do you see? Where do you see Hashem? You go to Shul, see Sefer Torah, but where do you see Hashem? In my share last night to the boys is that t- today God is closer to us than he was in the times of the Beis HaMikdash. How do you know that? So the first, the first, second passing in this week's Pasha, this week's Pasha is Pasha's Truma. Okay? It says like this. Dabel b'nei Yisrael. Dabel Hashem Moshe Lema. Hashem said to Moshe saying, Dabel b'nei Yisrael, speak to Klai Yisrael. B'yikhuli Truma. And take for me how would you say Truma in English? Huh? Portion. Portion, but tzedakah, like... Right, but... Right, take me... Take for me a portion of what you have to give to me. Thank you. May eighth call ish from every person, from every man, actually, who is donating his heart. Tichlis Trumasi, take my Truma. So the famous question is, the Pusik starts off, Yichuli Truma. Take for me a truma. Why would the Pasik end with the same words? Tichu et trumasi. 
Take from me a truma. You told me that already in the beginning of the pasuk. Why are you repeating yourself and saying again? Take from me a truma. So I wrote an amazing Torah. and this is really the point of the whole shir, which is connected to Adar. This is how you have to read the pasuk. Dabel b'nei Yisrael, speak to the Jews. Be truma, and take from me a truma. What is that truma? Psukim say gold, silver, copper, blue wool, purple wool, red wool. Uh, goat's wool, linen, skins, dyed skins, right? Wood, oil, spices, Abneshoam, diamonds, all kinds of different jewel, jewels. So the first vehicle truma is take for me a truma. But, says the Pasuk, the truma is not worth anything. Giving me gold and silver, says Hashem, worthless. Me'ez ko'ish. The real donation I want you to give is the heart of every single person that's giving. In other words, it's very nice that you're giving, right? You're giving gold and silver, but if, but I don't. That's fine. I, I need that to build the mishkan, but that's not what I want for Hashem. I want every Jew's heart That's the truma that I really want. It's like a guy buying his wife a diamond, right? And just giving it to her. Like, here, that's, that's yours. She's like, that's not, that's not what I want. I want you. I want, I, want, I, want, I want you to give me from yourself. I want you to love me. I want you to care about me. I want to, want to have a relationship with you. It's not the diamond's worthless. If the marriage is not there and the love is not there... Okay, some women are like, feel I'll take the diamond. If I can't get the guy, I'll take the diamond. But seriously, the diamond's worthless in a marriage. So, when you give something with feelings, it's a, it's a communication between you and that other person. It's not a thing. How do I explain that? A little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. When a man gives a rose to a woman... It's not the rose. The rose costs two bucks. If you would give the woman two dollars, hi, happy anniversary, here's two dollars. It's not going to be a happy anniversary at all. At all. Because it's not the item. It's not the rose. The rose is communicating my feelings for you. So it's not the rose itself. If someone else would give her a rose, it wouldn't mean anything to her. If some other person said, here's a rose, right? It, it wouldn't mean anything to her. But because the husband is giving the rose and there, there, there's feelings there, so the rose is a message. It's not a rose. It's a message. Giving gold and silver to the mishkan is a message if you give it with your heart. If you don't give it with your heart, Hashem doesn't want it. So the first tikkun with trumasi of giving the item is nothing without the advenalibo tikkun with trumasi. In other words, when you take my truma, I don't just want the item. I want the heart. I want the emotions. I want the feeling. That's, that's the message. The item is not the message. 
And that's one of the biggest problems in relationships is many times the husband or sometimes the wife thinks that's the item and, you know, I, I bought you a new tie. Here. That's not... I, I don't need you to buy me a new tie. I can buy my own ties. Right? But if there's a relationship there, <clears throat> when she gives you the tie, even the tie is five bucks. It's much more than the tie. Try to get a little deeper than this. I'm just on the surface. How can I give you... Oh, so I'll tell you a story. It was a story of a, a tailor. A very famous story. Famous Yiddish story. There was a, a tailor and he was... Eh, he wasn't such a good tailor. And he had, a, he had a tailor shop in his city. His city was very, very poor. Very poor city. And he had no customers. So people did tailoring in their own house. They didn't come to him. His wife said, listen, we got to make a living. We've got to make a panasa. Why don't you go with your tailoring, little tailoring thing, and go from house to house in other cities, the big cities where there's money, and maybe you'll get it, maybe someone will hire you. So, okay, he leaves the town. He comes to the big city. He's got a little sewing machine with little needles or a little thread, whatever he has. And he comes to the first house. It's a big castle, right? And he rings the bell and they open the door and they say, how can we help you? He goes, I'm a tailor. Doctors used to make house calls. There's a new business. Tailor house calls. I come to your house and I sew whatever you need. The servant runs and it was the house of the duke, of the, like the prince. And he runs to the prince and he says, you're not going to believe it. God answered all your prayers. There's a tailor here. He's like, whoa, what's going on over here? So the prince runs over to him and he says, listen, I just got an invitation to a very big wedding by a king of another land. And we have two days to get there. And I need clothing for me, for my wife, gown, for my kids, gowns, suits. And you're never allowed, you're not allowed in those days, you, you, you can't go to a, a wedding or any type of thing with, with a dress or a suit that you ever wore before. In other words, if they saw you in that dress, you can't wear that again. So now they're in tr- he has two days. He says, you've got to do something for me. He says, two days? Ah. He says, listen to me. If you're not going to do it, I'm going to put you in prison. And I'm going to make you do it in prison. I'm not going to let you out of prison until you do it. So you have two choices. You're either going to go to prison and do it or you're going to do it here. He says, okay, two days, he works, he works, he works. He knows he can't, he's not so good. He, so he's, the whole time he's sewing, he's davening, he's saying to Hillel. He's like, sewing to Hillel, sewing to Hillel. Anyway, he has unbelievable shiat and shmaya. After two days, he brings his suit and everything, they all try it on. It's not normal. Everything fits perfectly. And the, the, the prince is like, wow, this guy is like, I, okay, when we come back, we're going to make him famous. He's the best tailor in the world. So, they come back, they open a store for him, everybody in the, in, comes to him because he was the tailor that pulled this off in two days. Okay, he's there for a year, he's making a lot of money, he's sending money home, whatever it is. And the, 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 the prince calls him, he says, you're not going to believe this? The same thing just happened to another king, and he's only giving us two days, and you got, you better, you got to do it again. Okay, he really thinks he's good, right, because he thinks he's good. So, no to him, no nothing. He sews the dress. He sews everything. All right. It's, it's the morning of the wedding. They come in to try to do their fitting. The, the queen puts on. It doesn't fit. It's so tight. It doesn't fit. The guy's sh- jacket, one sleeve is longer than the other. The prince says, what are you, crazy? What did you do here? He says, if you don't have our stuff done correctly in five hours, I'm going to chop your head off. 
because that means I have to miss the wedding. He doesn't know what to do. So not out of that town, there was a big rub. He comes to the rub. He says to the rub, I don't know what God's doing to me. I'm about to lose my head. First time I did it, it fit. It was perfect. I became famous. And now, one sleeve's longer, one, one trouser's longer. Nothing fits. Everything's falling down or it's too tight. Help me, I need a miracle. He says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take all the clothing you made and I want you to open up all the seams. Every seam, open up every single seam, lay it out, and then sew it back exactly the way you did before. He says, Rebbe, that's not going to work. The sleeve was too long, the thing was too long. Open up every seam, and then, Tavim to Hashem, he should help you, and close it up the way it was before. Because to redo it now, you're not going to have time. Okay? The Rebbe says, do it, you do it. He's saying, he's doing his stitch. He's going to die. Okay? He puts it back exactly the way it was before. They come in to try it on. Perfect. It's impossible. It's impossible. How could it be perfect? I didn't do anything. I opened it. I closed it. Goes back to the Rav. To the Rav. He says, Rav, I don't stand. Mephis. The Mephis. A miracle. He said something. It's an unbelievable story. Shem Shempika says over the story. He says, there's a thing called chen. Esther Hamalka, the Gemara says, was downright ugly. She was green. She fasted before she came to the place. She didn't have oil. She didn't have basam. She had nothing. She was very not pretty. We have her as very pretty. It's very pretty or very not pretty. She had a green complexion. That's why she was called Hadassah. She's from Hadassah, which is green. Right? And the, if you look in the Megillah, it doesn't say she was pretty. It says, when she walked in front of Achishverosh, Matzachain Be'enov. She had this thing called Chain. And that, he only saw in a Jewish girl. And that's what he wanted. And that's what Paro saw in Sarah. That's what Abimelech saw. There's a certain Chain. Jewish girls don't know they have that. And they want, to, they want to get rid of it, so they put on a lot of makeup, and they wear short skirts, and they want everyone to look at their bodies, and they don't realize that they have much more than all the fashion and all the bodies and all that stuff. They have something called chen. And that's why there's such a high level of intermarriage, because it's like a magnet, and everybody wants a Jewish girl, except a Jewish girl, because she doesn't think she's anything. But she doesn't realize how very special she is. And Jewish girls have chen. Different eyes. We have different eyes. We have different eyes. In fact, they told me that they did a whole training for Eged bus drivers in Israel because they were having all these bombings where Arabs got dressed up as Hasidim, right? And they taught them how to look at the difference between an Arab eye and a Jewish eye. The Jewish eye is much more round. It's interesting. So that if the guy gets dressed up and he comes up the steps, you can see by his eyes that he's not, that he's not a Jew. So they gave them a whole training in the difference of the eyes. Whatever, I'm not, I'm not a specialist in eyes. But whatever, whatever that means, that's, that, that's what he, So she, when he saw her, he saw this chain. There, there must have been much more beautiful girls. He had every girl from the, every country. Black girls, white girls, Chinese girls, Latin girls, whatever. He had every single girl. He had, he had thousands and thousands of women. It's very nice that we believe our Jewish girls are beautiful, but it was Miss Universe. And it seems to be that she won Miss Universe. And Esther wasn't so young. And... The Gemara says that. Many people hold that she was not beautiful. Just the opposite. Hashem, they picked her because she's beautiful. Ah, but there's chen. There's a certain chen. There's a certain 
There's a certain, there's a certain beauty in a, in a in a Jewish person. So, in a relationship, it's not what is it called? It's not the the emotion. It's the emotion. In a relationship, it's not the object. And and people make this mistake. And I've had one of the saddest stories I ever heard in my life was a girl called me. She wanted to meet me. She had to talk to me privately. And I, I met her by a shul. And she was shaking because of a scene that just happened in her house. Her father came home. Um, 25th anniversary, 20th anniversary, big anniversary. And he, she was in the kitchen. And he bought this very wealthy guy, crazy necklace, diamond necklace. $100,000 necklace, gorgeous. And he gave it to his wife, her mother. And her mother opened it up and took the necklace out and threw it at him. He said, I don't want your stupid diamonds. I want you and I want your time. And until you're willing to give me that time, I'm not interested in celebrating an anniversary with you in front of this girl. She was 16. And she called me and she said, I must talk to you right away. She was in pieces. It was to watch, you know, between her parents, something like that happened was trauma, huge trauma. And it's so true. I don't want your diamonds. It doesn't matter how much it costs. I don't want your silver and your gold. I want the cold venolibo. I want your heart, Tikkuth Tremasi. Then, if I have your heart, that diamond looks great. I'll take that diamond. That diamond, that gold, that gold bracelet is amazing. Right? It has a meaning. You go to a store, girls. You go to a jewelry store. Okay? You see a beautiful bracelet. You ask the guy behind the counter, could I try that on? Right? Even if he puts the bracelet on your hand, you're, you're in Bloomingdale's. You want to try it on, right? He puts it on your hand. It has no meaning to you. There's no meaning there. It doesn't mean anything. It's a bracelet. You look at the price. You're like, too expensive or not too expensive or is it real or isn't it real? There's, there's, no, there's no meaning there. So it's a piece of cold gold that's around your wrist. And you're looking at it, do I look good in it? Is it worth the money? When is it going on sale? Maybe I can get 25% off. Maybe I should wait. Because the object without the heart has no feeling. But when someone gets engaged and the chassan gives her a bracelet, forget about it. She runs around to all her friends. Look, 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 look what he gave me. Look what he gave me. If, when you buy something in Bloomingdale's for yourself, you don't run around. Maybe a girl will see it and say, that's nice. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's very nice that you're complimenting me. But you, don't, you would never buy yourself a bracelet and go over to everybody in the room. Look, look what I got. Look what I got. Look what, what, what are you, big shot? Like what? You're trying to make me jealous? But when the girl gets the ring and she's engaged, everyone's like, let me see the ring. Oh, look at that ring. Yeah, that's, isn't that, that's my chassan. That's my chassan. That's what Kush Baruch wanted here. Kush Baruch wanted, you're building, I'm building a mishkan. It's very important because here's the point. As the psukim go on, and that's why I said that we're closer to Hashem today than we were when we had a base Amigdash. Listen to this Pasuk. It's the biggest Pasuk in the Torah. Ches. But also the Migdash, Hashem says. Make for me a Migdash. And I will dwell in you. Not I will dwell in it. It should say, Build for me a base on Migdash and I will live in it. It's not what Hashem says. He says, I'm not, I'm not interested, Hashem saying, living in a house. You're building me a Mishkan. It's a house. A house has no meaning. 
if there's no relationship in that house. So Hashem said, if you want to know the Migdash that I want to live in, it's not gold and silver and copper. It's not a base Hamigdash. Really the house I want to live in is you. I want you to carry me in your heart. I want, I want to live in you. That's what I want. That's what I need. It's a huge pussy. It's not Besocho that I want to live. But I cannot live in you unless you're willing to give me your heart. It's, it's mamish, a marriage. We're talking about a marriage over here. Hashem's saying, I want to live with you. I want to live in your house. What does that mean, I want to live in your house? I want to live in your heart. I want to live in you. I want, I want to be part of your life. Not that you walk into shul and you take out a safer, a, a sitter, and you daven. It's very nice. But it's not a relationship. It's like, it's like, I was just telling this to someone. Like some, some guys are not very romantic. They're just very, really guys. And they have no idea. They don't have sisters now. But guys, right, he has no sisters. Right? So he has no idea what girls like, what they don't like. Right? So, so he, he doesn't know how to say, will you marry me? Right? He doesn't know how to say, I like you. Machloikis yeshiva, not yeshiva, if you're allowed to tell a girl I love you before you're married. It's dibachiba, right? It's whatever, it has its reasons, yes or no. But, so he, imagine a guy comes, he's, 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 he's proposing to you, right? So he gets down on one knee. Okay, you don't have to get down on one knee, but Jewish people, guys get down on both knees. But anyway, but just to bow down, princess. But he gets down on one knee, and instead of saying, you know, you're very special. I'm waiting this moment my whole life. Will you marry me? He opens up a Hallmark card and he reads it. Hold on a minute. I want to propose to you, right? And he has a Hallmark. He went to the store. He bought a Hallmark card. Roses are red and violets are blue. Um, I really love you. And she's like, can you close the card and tell me what you feel like? He goes, no, no, I got another card. Hold on. I got another poem. She's like, I'm out of here. I can't have a relationship with this guy. Right? He's reading, he's reading it from a, there's no feelings. He's reading it from a card. I want to hear what you feel like. The same thing Akhurj Baruch wants from us. It's very nice you're opening a sitter. But the sitter only works. Right? Just like the gold and silver only works. I show you Libo. It doesn't work if you're not willing to give me your heart. If we don't have a relationship. It was just reading words out of a Hallmark card. That's what you're doing. You're reading words out of a Hallmark card. Do they have a power? It has a power. Don't get me wrong. It has a certain power, but it's very nice. Thank you for buying the Hallmark card and for reading but, but this is not a relationship. It's not a relationship. you reading from a card. Your friend wrote you what to say. You in Lakewood and your roommate told you what to say. He wrote it out for you and you're reading from a piece of paper. We got to go to a marriage therapist. This is, this is not happening. This is not a, this is not a relationship. That's what a Kirchbach was saying over here. Kushbochu is saying, I need your heart. I need your heart. And it's very scary. Because if you go back, way back to Pashva Yishlach, very, very interesting. It's so true. The Torah is so true. Go back to Pashva Yishlach. So at the end of Pashva Yishlach, it's very weird, but it talks about Esau's children and all their kings. And why, why are we talking about Esau? We don't, Esau is not a good guy. Why are we wasting so much time? So it's brought down in Kabbalah and other Midrashim that these 12 kingdoms are the 12 kingdoms from Esau until Mashiach. And if you could figure out these names and what they stand for, you would know which kingdom is the one before Mashiach. But, by each one it says the following. Ve'ela ha'malachim, 
these other king, Ashemochu Eretz Edom, that where the king's in Edom, which is the west, where we are now, right? But Yimlok Edom, Bela ben Ba'ar. Bela, the son of Ba'ar, right? Vayamash Bala, and then he died. Vayamash Takla Yoivah, Vayamash Yoivah, then he died. And who took over for him? Chusham, Vayamash Chusham. And it goes through all 12 of them, okay? The last one, the last one, the last of them all, Hadar, was his, name, his name was Hadar, Vashem Iro Pua, whatever. His name was Hadar, and it doesn't say that he died. Every one of them it says they died, but by Hadar, it doesn't say that he died. But in Divrei Hayamim, it repeats exactly the same thing, and it says, Hadar, he died. So everybody asks, did he die, or did he not die? So one of the answers is that at this point, he wasn't dead. But by Divrei Yaman, which is much later, he was dead. But that's not the, that's not the terrace that we're going to talk about tonight. So Shimshim Pinkus says that it's brought down that Hadar, this last king, was Mashiach. Hadar stands for Mashiach. The beauty, right, is Mashiach. And Mashiach didn't die. So how could it be that in Divrei Yaman, it says that he did die? So he answers... It means in the times of Mashiach. In the Torah it says that in the end of time, before Mashiach, right, there still will be beauty in Judaism. Divya Yamim says that by the time of Mashiach, there will be no more beauty in Judaism. Jews will not find the Torah and the mitzvahs beautiful. Who wrote Divya Yamim? Ezra. Ezra wrote that in 2000 and 18, Tznius will be something that's a struggle. Putting on Tfilin is no beauty. Shabbos is boring. Let's get on our phones. Pesach, I can't believe I have to clean the car. Everything about Yiddishkeit is going to be a tircha. It's not going to have a beauty anymore. That's what Ezra wrote in Divrei Yavim. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I disagree. It looks like the Jews are dead. It looks like they have no more beauty in Yiddishkeit. And he brings down a story of a king who had a, a son who, who got very sick and the, and the doctors came and said to the king that he died. Because the way they used to test if you're alive or not, they put a feather underneath your nose. If the feather didn't move, it meant you weren't breathing at all and you were dead. And all of a sudden, this, this doctor comes running and says, no to the king, he's not dead. I have a different way of testing. I didn't put the thing by his nose. I listened to his heart and his heart's still beating. And if his heart's still beating, even if he's not breathing, it doesn't look like he's breathing, he must be breathing. If his heart's still beating, he's still alive. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, it looks like to us in the times of Mashiach that Yiddishkeit is not, it's not a beautiful, right? It's not, when, you, when you say, what's a beautiful language? Anybody ever tell you, what's a beautiful language? If I had you write down, everyone to you, what's the most beautiful language? Anybody in here write Ivrit? No. Aramaic? Like the Gemara, no. You'd write French, Italian, French. You're not going to write Chinese. You're not going to write Japanese. You're going to write French and Italian, right? If you would say, what's the most beautiful physical people in the, you know, from what, from what country, from where? You'd also, you're not going to say the Jewish people are the most beautiful people. What laws are like beautiful? Christmas, you have trees with lights. Rockefeller Center. Big Santa Clauses, right? 
beautiful, right? Halloween with all the masks and the pumpkins and the, right? Big, big, light, bright things. With Yiddishkeit. So, you know what? We have Shabbos. We know, right? But a lot of people are struggling with Shabbos. It's boring in camp. What's the worst day in camp? Shabbos. It's boring. We don't play ball. We don't do sports. We don't have music, right? So, there was a big machoikas. If in the times of Mashiach, there'll still be a heartbeat. Moshe said, there's still underneath every Jew, the Torah will have its beauty. This was an argument between the two of them. And therefore, the most important thing that Pasha's Truma is teaching us is that Hashem says, listen to me. I don't need a base of Mingdash. I don't need Korbanos. I don't need a Mizbeach. And I don't need a Menorah. I need you. I want to be in each one of you. Oh, you're giving me your heart and your soul? Let's go build a beautiful building. Let's go build a Mishkan. Without that, it's totally empty. So we'll end with this. We have three minutes left. So I get up and I speak many times by Sheva Brachas. Because many of my students, Baruch Hashem, are married. Everyone who needs a Shidduch before Pesach should meet the right guy. If you say amen, you mean it, it'll happen. If you don't, it won't happen. Anyway, you should meet him. I didn't say you should be married. You can't, it's too fast. <laughs> so I get up at the Shabbat and I always speak. And I always say the same thing. I tell a story of a, a king that had three daughters. When his first daughter got married, so he went to his daughter's room the night of, before she went to get married, he said, you know, you're my daughter, and I'll give you anything in the world that you want. What could I give you? She looks at her father. He says, I'd like to have your crown. He says, sure. Just can I ask you why? He said, you know, I'm getting married and I'm moving away. I'm going to put your crown in my dining room. And every time me and my husband sit down, and Mitchum have kids sit down in the dining room, I'm going to look at your crown, and I'm going to remember you, Dad, because I love you. He's like, wow, what a daughter I brought up, right? Amazing. Okay, she gets married, she gets the crown. Next daughter, night before, he goes into her room, he says, what can I get you? Your sister has a crown, what would you like? She says, you know, on the way up the steps, your beautiful marble steps, there's a huge tapestry of, of you. I would love to get that tapestry. He said, why? He says, I'm going to put it by my steps in my castle. Every time I go up the steps, I'll see you, Dad. Every time I go down the steps, I'll see you, Dad. I want to remember you. He's like, Psh, I brought up my kids. Look at this. This is amazing. He comes to the third daughter. He says, so what can I get you? A tapestry, a crown? She says, no. She says, I want the blueprints of the castle. Blueprints of the castle. Up there, up in the attic somewhere, all dusty and dirty. She says, okay, just send someone up there. That's what I want. So they send somebody up there, bring her down these dirty these blueprints. He says, what, what are you going to do with this? She says, listen, my sisters, my older sister loves you, Dad. And the middle sister, she also loves you. And every time she's going to sit in the dining room, she's going to think of you. And every time she's going up and down the steps, she's going to think of you. Not enough for me. It's not enough for me. I'm going to build the exact same castle that we live in here. 
number one, every room, every step I take, I'm in the same castle I was brought up in. I'm thinking of you everywhere. Not just up the steps, not just in the dining room. But more important, Dad, I want you to be comfortable when you come to me. And I know that if I build the same castle as you, you're going to come to me more. And he said, Of all my daughters, you're the one. In our houses, as I say by Shevardbachos, we have mezuzahs on every single door. It says Shakai. It's Hashem's name. Every time you walk through the door, you put your hand on the mezuzah, you kiss it, you remember Hashem, we hope. It's an interesting thing. I was at a, at a, at a Shabbaton and a rabbi got up. I will never forget this. And he said, how connected are you to your mitzvahs? I was thinking to myself, I think I'm pretty connected. Said, how many people does it bother that there's no mezuzah on their door? We were in a regular Hilton. Does it bother you that when you come out of your, your room to come downstairs, there's no mezuzah on the door? And every room you walk into, there's no mezuzah. Does it bother you? And I'm like, wow. doesn't bother you. Sometimes you put your hand up automatically, right? But does it bother you that you're in a place that you don't have Hashem's name? It was just an interesting thought. Like, why doesn't it bother you? Okay, but anyway, so when I talk to the, at the Shemar Brachas, I'm like, Baruch Hashem, you have parents that drew the most beautiful blueprints for you to live your life. That's what you need to get. You need to get the blueprints that your parents built their house, you should build the same house. It's the same thing with Hashem. We all have mezuzahs. So yeah, when you walk through the door, you remember Hashem. Beautiful. Then some people, they buy Judaica. Kevarachal, the Satmarebbe, the Kosomarovi, we spend a lot of money on that, right? So you remember Eretz Yisrael, you remember all these things when you're walking through the house. I say to the young couple, but you need to be smarter. Because if you build your house the way Hashem built his house, then he will dwell with you. The king will come to your house and he will dwell in your house because you built your house the same way he built his house. And a house that has God in it, that the blueprints of the Mishkan are what built it, is a house of health, wealth, Shalom bias, happy children, everything that a person wants. And that's what Kosh Bohu says. If you give me your heart, no matter what you do, whether you're davening or you're giving someone tzedakah, or you're getting dressed sneeze and you're looking in the mirror and you're like, I'm not doing this because I'm in a cult and I'm depressed, but this is how you want your daughters to dress. I'm so happy. I'm doing it with my heart. I'm so happy to do this mitzvah. And Kosh Bohu says, my promise to you, what am I giving you back for that? For Shachanti B'Saycham, I will dwell within you. And where God dwells, there's no sickness. And where God dwells, there's no depression and there's no anxiety. There's only peace and happiness. You want inner Simcha? Let God in. Let Him build the Mishkan within you. Thank you very much. And I apologize for being late. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.